first time in what feels like a while on this show, we can go into the weekend mostly discussing positives. The Canadian men's national team had a near-perfect international window, while Toronto FC continue to rise up the Eastern Conference standings. My name is Mitchell Tierney, you are listening to the Footy Talks podcast, and this week on the show we'll discuss both of those teams, as well as previewing the Voyagers Cup final coming up on Wednesday. This week, it's my pleasure to welcome Oliver Platt of One Soccer back on the show. Ollie, thanks for coming on. Anytime, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. And uh, let's start with that aforementioned Toronto FC rise up the standings. Uh, For only the third time in club history, they've gone eight games unbeaten in all competitions. That stat coming courtesy of Waking the Red stat guy, Martin Bailey. So a pretty positive run for the club and and right about the the time you'd want them to be going on a run right before the playoffs. We've kind of been saying for weeks on this show, you know, anytime you can string together results in this Eastern Conference, you're going to pretty quickly rise up the standings because there's been um i guess so much mediocrity from anywhere between four and, and ten this year it's they're certainly not out of the woods yet i mean i was looking and there's still five points only separating them from the montreal impact who are on the outside of the playoffs looking in but certainly a lot more positive from toronto fc the last couple of, of weeks hasn't it been yeah definitely you know they're already unbeaten but i think the last four in particular has been where it's really you've seen a noticeable improvement in their performances um like you said it's it's a weak conference um dc the red bulls i don't think they're going to do anything in the playoffs um so that fourth place is kind of there for the taking and and i don't even think the top three is is unbeatable as we saw um on wednesday against nycfc so it's been good. The last four games, as I said in particular, I think that Montreal game was a real turning point. Um, you know, the decision to drop Pozuelo and, and kind of really go with a system that Greg Vanny has wanted to go with all season. I think it was a big gamble um, and potentially, you know, he risked, uh, you know, losing Pozuelo, making a decision like that, but it paid off. And, and I just think you've seen a, a better team ever since then and one that's, you know, playing as a group now rather than kind of relying on, on a couple of stars. Yeah, you've mentioned some of them, but what do you think are, are the keys to this run right now for the club? Because, uh, like you said, especially over the last few, I mean, there's been a lot of draws in this stretch, but, you know, you look at that New England away draw, even the the NYCFC draw, I mean, um, both of them are, are, are a little bit disappointing for different reasons. You have the, the Westberg gaffe, and then, of course, you have the missed penalty from Pozuelo, but uh, on the surface, those are pretty good results, especially a draw with, the you know, the, the top team in the Eastern Conference in a game where I think Toronto probably played some of their better soccer we've seen all season and um so what what do you think's kind of can you kind of attribute to this recent run of form yeah they could be coming out of a three-game road stint with nine points which obviously would have you know done mass a massive amount for their, their bid to get a home game in the playoffs um i just think they look more balanced you know i think getting Gallardo and Benazé up and running has been really important you know they have real width now they have more quality in the attack um, I think Benazé in particular is a guy that teams just have to pay attention to because he can score goals he can create goals um, and, and you can see space opening up elsewhere on the field as a result of that you know I, I think Jacob Schaffelberg when he came in did did really well and he's a really promising young player but he was someone who was still kind of inexperienced enough and his final product was inconsistent enough that teams could kind of just leave him alone on the flank and then if he got the ball they'd go out to him and they'd deal with it 
but they didn't really have to watch him tightly at all times and you know it was safer to, to kind of concentrate on tightening up the space around Pozuelo mm-hmm. um, with Benazé you know they have to be wary of him at, at all times and Gallardo too and, and that's just you know opened up the field for TFC um, so I, say, I think the wingers as we expected is, have been a big part of it I think Omar Gonzalez has been a big part of it defensive record is pretty good when he's in the team um, and I, I just think there's a different kind of mentality and work ethic to the group in the minute you know I think maybe when you have more quality on the field it draws more out of your best players um, there's certainly more options for Pozuelo in terms of you know picking a pass and just as a group I, I think they'll you know, I, I don't really like to fall back on the intangibles, but I just think they're working harder. You know, I, I think they are more together right now, um, and it's it's just a better balance between. You know, they, they have more experience on the field, and I think they've gone from a position where they had they were very reliant on Pozuelo and Altador, mm-hmm. and the team was kind of built around them, and they knew it, and so they were kind of maybe taking plays off defensively and just focusing on trying to lead the attack. Now I just think there's a much better balance to the group, and, and Pozuelo's chipping in more defensively, and you know it's less focused on him going forwards, and and it's all, you know, there's there's a much better equilibrium to the group. Yeah, you mentioned how this is kind of cleared up opportunity for Pozuelo now. You know, guys aren't just sitting on him in the midfield because they can't afford yeah. to. Now they have other options, and uh, again, that gives him more energy to to you know put in a shift elsewhere. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about how tired he looked, about you know the fact that he he kind of fallen out of form a little bit, but he he did score his tenth goal this week against New York City FC. He's only the sixth Toronto FC player to do that. Uh, All star Javinko Defoe, Di Rosario, and Osorio being the others. Um, it, it just seems like again during a pretty crucial stretch for Toronto FC right now as they kind of ramp up for the playoffs. It, it really does seem like he's back in form and kind of picking those passes you saw from him earlier in the year especially in that game against Cincinnati, but uh, also just generally, you know, looking, uh, I guess, like we said, a bit more space affords him a bit more opportunity to make some of those plays that uh, he made such a good first impression coming into the league making. Yeah, more space, more options. Um, you know, if if the best thing that you do is, is your passing and your playmaking ability, you're reliant on your teammates, right? You need someone to be making the right runs. You need mm-hmm. players to be making the most of the service you give them. You need the team to be structured so you have enough space to work in. I, like, I think in a way, Javinko has kind of not done future DPs any favors because when he first came to the club, the team wasn't very good and Javinko was still brilliant because he was just <laughs> such an individual genius. Yeah. Um, and not all players are going to be like that and certainly not a player like Pozuelo who's, who's more of a playmaker. So... Yeah, I, I think the team is, is definitely getting more out of him and, and there's, you know, there's much more of kind of a, a basis for him to have success now. And, and as I said, I, I do think that that Montreal game where he was dropped to the bench was, was kind of an important turning point. You know, I think his reaction to that has been good. I think he kind of maybe saw the team in the first half of that game play in a really good shape and, and with good structure and he's bought into it. And, you know, now rather than just kind of um, posting him up front next to Altidore, you can maybe bring him back into midfield and, and know that you're going to get what you need on both sides of the ball and, and not just uh, the attacking side. So he's been good and, yeah, starting to, to live up to how central that, you know, TFC hopes he would be and needed him to be. 
Yeah, that Montreal experiment certainly could have gone either way. I know there's some yeah. players in this league, certainly uh, in this team's past, that wouldn't have handled that as well as uh, Pozuelo has. So a uh, big positive there that they've been able to, you know, it's, it's gone the right way and it seems to have motivated him and, and motivated the team as well. Uh, Greg Vanny, of course, without some players for the past couple of games, and I wonder if in some ways that um, kind of helped him out, gave him less of a headache, because he does have some difficult decisions going forward. I think, you know, in some ways he won't have to necessarily make them in in the short term because he's got those Voyagers Cup games coming up, but of course he'll want to kind of have everything nailed down by the time the playoffs come around should the club be um, in, in the same position come that time. I think the most interesting one for me is is at the fullback position, Richie Larea or Auro. Um, you know, I, I think overall Richie Larea has kind of had the better season. Certainly, uh, you know, some of that is is the complete lack of expectation around him coming into the year. It's it's his dynamic play down the down the uh, wide position and what he's been able to do there. But over this last little stretch, I think Auro's been fantastic, and I think he gives you potentially more defensive stability back there, which is important when you know you're now playing with the wingers and you have a guy like Gallardo up there who's not necessarily going to track back in the same way you know Adelion or some of the other options Toronto FC has played out wide earlier in the season. Um, the other one, of course, being Jonathan Osorio, who you know is is a TAM player. So uh, any player like that, you always expect them to be starting in MLS but uh, you know at the moment it's going to be tough for uh, a couple of these players who certainly you know went out to the the Canadian men's national team camp to to come back in and and earn spots for themselves yeah it's, it's going to be interesting I, I like Auro and I think he's had to you know he's played in some pretty bad defenses over the past 18 months or so <laughs> so point. now that now that Gonzalez is is in there and it's looking a bit more solid, I think he could really flourish. And as you said, he's been really good lately and has filled in really well for Justin Morrow at left back as well. Um, but Larray has been great. Um, you know, seeing him kind of outside of, of TFC with the national team this week really kind of opened my eyes even more to that because I just thought, you know, he alongside some pretty good players, when you look at Junior Hoyler and Mark Anthony Kay and, and guys like that who are kind of near him on the field, um, you could just see that he was on the same wavelength as, as them. You know, he wasn't kind of slow to anything they were doing. He was catching on really quickly. Um, you know, even before that first Cuba game, John Herdman in his his press conference before that was was singing his praises. You know, just the way he trained and the way he'd immediately adapted to the group. So he's done really well. Um, really good story, I think, for for Canadian players. That you know, if TFC had decided against signing Richie Larea out of training camp when he came in on trial, he probably would have been in the CPL. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, you, from from being that close to, to see, taking what some people would have seen as a step down to really finding your game and, and becoming, you know, potentially a regular starter for the national team, I think just shows, you know, what CPL players can, you know, could, could potentially achieve in, in the future as well. Um so yeah, that'd be an interesting battle, but it's good to have depth there, and and I think Larea is a guy who you can, you know, you can potentially use on on the wing or in midfield as well. So, um, good options for Greg Vanny to have. Yeah, it certainly is, and we'll talk about Larea in the context of of the men's national team a little bit later on on the show. Uh, but first, as I mentioned, he will have some squad rotation opportunities because three games coming up this week, starting with Colorado on Sunday. 
Um, you know, that's. I actually think this is a, a pretty important game for Toronto FC for multiple reasons. You know, one of which it's it's a lot closer, of course, than it seems. You know, in the, when they've been consistently rising up the standings, um, it always feels like they have you know a bit more positive momentum going. But it's it's still just five points into the playoffs. Any any results at this point, you know, can really have a massive swing on the Eastern Conference standings. So you want to make sure that in games like this against opponents who have not had a good season, you want to make sure you're still winning. And then, of course, if they can get the, the three points at home, of course, which uh, which is always important at this stage in the season or any stage in the season, it kind of affords them an opportunity to uh, not take the LAFC game off, but uh, you know that game being in between two legs, the Voyager's Cup final, they can maybe rest a few more players that they, they wouldn't necessarily want to if they dropped a shock result to Colorado so uh, I think this is uh, for for those reasons kind of a, a a bit of an important game for Toronto it is yeah you know you, as you said you don't want to be relying on needing a result like at LAFC that's going to be a really difficult one and I wouldn't be surprised if they leave some players at home um, Colorado is going to be tricky because they've been a completely different team since they made that coaching change earlier in the season and obviously mm-hmm. even better under Robin Fraser three wins in a row so um, they're, they're kind of an interesting team they're quite young but I think they've got rid of a lot of mediocre veteran players and put their faith in some youth and it's paid off for them um, so that won't be easy but you certainly look at the three games other than the LAFC game and they all look pretty winnable um, Colorado and Columbus at home and then Chicago on the road and Chicago has been a decent home team this year but it's just the kind of team that if their playoff hopes are looking slim by that point you could easily see CFC going in there and getting a result so mm-hmm. you know those three are, are big and if they can get maximum points out of those three then you've got to think they'll be looking pretty good for fourth place um, but yeah this Colorado game is one on paper that looks like kind of a safe three points and, and I think it might be a bit trickier than, than maybe people expect fast forward to Wednesday then and the third ever meeting in a final of the Voyagers Cup between Toronto FC and the Montreal Impact kind of surprising that it's only been three well I guess this this being the third they've split one each uh, Toronto FC two wins in the season series They they've certainly looked the better of the two sides lately as Montreal right now struggling to be in kind of that playoff contention right now they're one point out of the playoffs at the moment in the eighth spot um, th- that kind of adds a little bit of an interesting wrinkle to this. I think it's interesting overall. We were talking about it uh, a couple weeks back on the show when, when obviously both of these sides booked their spot. Um, th- the fact that both teams have brought in a lot of new players, Montreal a new coach, um, it, it was kind of about who could integrate the players faster into their system. And certainly Toronto FC has done the better job of that over the last little bit. Yeah, um, Montreal for me just not a team I have any faith in right now um, you know I thought I don't think they've really got better for about three years at least relative to the rest of the league you know they're still at their best when they're defensive and counter-attacking through Piatti and you know that, that was the same in the 2016 playoffs like it just hasn't really moved on since then um, I thought Remy Gard was kind of doing a pretty good job of putting a lot of band-aids on you know, obvious problems in that team that are more related to personnel than they were to him. Um, but maybe, you know, because he was having to patch things over so much, it got a little bit negative And, you know, there was a, some rumors of maybe him losing the room a little bit. But I, I, I just think this Montreal team needs a rethink. Um, you know, obviously, 
Piatti's injury problems have, have made this year difficult and they've done pretty well to to just be in the playoff picture but for me this is a team that you know is, is starting to fall behind a little bit and, and is in danger of you know falling behind even further next season unless they um, address things in, in a pretty serious way in the off season so I can't see past TFC for this um, you know Montreal did a good job against Cavalry which was a tricky tie they could have been out against York 9 I thought mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I struggled to see past TFC for, for this year again yeah, certainly. And again, as I mentioned, the the fact that they're kind of in that playoff race at the moment, I yeah. would think that's that's what they're going to focus on more because um, at the end of the day, I think that's first off probably more realistic than they get into the playoffs than that they would beat Toronto FC over two legs just at the moment how things are going. And I, I think that's probably the priority for the club right now. So, um you know, certainly you're never going to take off games against your rival, but uh, maybe they're going to focus a little bit more on on what could be a somewhat realistic chance at the playoffs. Again, everyone between the the fourth and tenth position, it's it's so close that uh, that you know basically anything could happen at this point. Um, if if Montreal can can get hot for a couple of games in the league. Uh, let's transition then to the Canadian men's national team, and and what I mentioned off the top was a, a very successful camp for Canada for a multitude of reasons. But it, it started off great. I mean that that six no win at home at BMO Field. Uh, again, you never. Uh, unfortunately, we've said this about almost every Canadian men's national team conversation over the past couple of almost the past year. Actually, the, the fact that you can't read. Uh, too too much into results against some of the opponents they've been playing and Cuba certainly fits that bill but um, again the first game in Toronto a, a completely dominant effort and and you know after what happened against Haiti and coming out of that gold cup I, I think that was a, a bit of a chance for everyone to take a deep breath and, and get back on board yeah it was um, Cuba played an absolutely bizarre game um, some of their <laughs> defending was, you know, how high up the field they were was was crazy, and they were taking a lot of risks with the ball as well. But you know, Canada capitalized on it, and and to be fair, like you, they're going to get similar opportunities to that, if not to the same extreme, obviously, against the US. You know, the US are going to try and play that way and and take mm-hmm. risks with the ball out of defense, and you could certainly you certainly like the look of that matchup. Um, at least when it comes to Canada's attack and the pace they have and the ability to, to break in transition. So um, I thought there were some, definitely some good signs there. Um, pretty interesting selection decision now for John Herdman when he has Lucas Cavallini back, You're choosing between the four players he has for three positions up front. Um, and the the big positive for me, as we mentioned earlier in the show, was Larea, who just yeah. looked really assured at right back, and I think is probably that position is his to lose now. So... Um, that was a really good night for Canada. Good result, some good performances, and and I think some answers as well going into the U.S. game. Yeah, which is of course kind of what you were looking for out of this camp was maybe mm-hmm. a few answers positional wise, and and of course some positive momentum. That that second game, of course, though a little bit more difficult. You know, you go down to ten men early in the second half. You're playing in ridiculous heat on a pretty crappy field. I, I mean, it's still. You know, in terms of Concacaf away dates, certainly if they are playing this in Cuba at the heat of the day, it would have been a much more difficult match. But uh, still, never easy. They scored that early goal and, and never really looked like conceding. But at the same time.
time you you could tell it was a much more difficult match for them certainly than it was in Toronto and in some ways I think good for them to get some adversity out of this camp because it probably wasn't something they were expecting obviously you know you would have loved to cruise through those two games if you were the national team but this was at least an opportunity to play um, under a bit of pressure in a bit of difficulty again with the, the way that they um, crumbled a little bit when when you know similar pressure was put on them in that gold cup I, I guess not quite similar definitely a lot more pressure on that on them in that game than there was on them in this Cuba game but um, you know it, it was it was a good probably mental opportunity for them to uh, to show that they could play through some of this difficulty yeah, yeah it was much tougher and Cuba's game plan was much better and, and more solid and you know there, there wasn't a whole lot of attacking threat but I think also you can give Canada some credit for keeping the ball pretty well and, and not you know giving it away in in too many bad areas and you know that was obviously an issue in, in kind of handling those transitions against Haiti so um, that side of it was good it is tough to go down to places like that like you see some of the results around the Nations League and you know mm-hmm. that there were some surprises and teams that were just disciplined and kind of bunkered and played on the break and, and Canada had to face the same kind of thing so um, it was more difficult but as you said it was maybe good for them to have some adversity rather than just another 5-0 win even if a goal difference would have been nice and yeah as, as I said I thought Cuba were a completely different team in terms of their approach and hopefully they take that approach into their two games against the US because I think they'll be a much tougher opponent for uh, USA if, if they play that way than the way they played at BMO Field yeah of course the the one major negative from that game being the Daniil Henry sending off a, a bit of a shocking call on, on the first decision to give him a foul but then a yellow card for dissent that obviously uh, you just can't have in, in a series like this where you know it's so crucial for World Cup qualifying and, and such a big game ahead now of course he'll miss the first leg of that U.S. game at, at BMO Field in October which uh, is, is disappointing because uh, you know I think this has been a big big year for Daniil finally finding some consistency uh, both in terms of staying healthy and, and on the field um, and you know John Herbin's mentioned multiple times that he's kind of uh, been Canada's most reliable and best center back throughout this process so not having him for that U.S. game is is disappointing for multiple reasons and I think you know one of which is you know the opportunity for Daniel Henry Daniel Henry to get to come up against players like that but uh, most pressing of course is the fact that Canada will be out with will be out one of their key players for this match yeah Herdman's a big fan of him and he he often praises kind of you know how how much he cares and his emotional leadership and you know his his passion for it i think those things can also be his downfall sometimes because he just mm-hmm. seems you know he's looks like canada's best defender for 89 minutes and still makes that one mistake um you know that can be pretty costly and and there was one at bmo field as well for the only chance that cuba had right. um so yeah it's, it's it's tough uh i thought vittoria looked okay um, when he came in and I think it will be him and Cornelius against the US mm-hmm. um, Cornelius I thought did really well in, in both games when he came on the second game in particular and so I think he's locked down his spot um, but yeah it's, it's a tough one I, th- I do think Daniel Henry as I said is for the majority of the game he's a good player he's, he's got athleticism which will obviously be important against a forward like Josie Altador Um it's, it's just the, those little moments where he switches off and or you know kind of loses his call cool a, a, a little bit which lets him down um 
So that, that, that's a tough one for him, but I imagine he will be back for, for the second US game and, and have a chance to maybe redeem himself a little bit. Yeah, I think Vittoria is kind of the key going forward there just because, you know, he's kind of had a, a bit of a redemptive season. He's struggled for a couple of years to find consistent playing time, but, you know, now doing so in in the Portuguese league is, yeah. is a very solid level for him to be playing at and having some success there. And he did look... Uh, solid for Canada obviously I think you always need to have him paired with with a quick player next to him but Cornelius seems to to fit that mold so that's positive for Canada as well with you know someone like Mandrakar James struggling to get minutes in Denmark um, ha- having another guy who who's at least playing key minutes and again at, at a very high level is huge the, the one position I guess that, that remains to be discussed in the back line is that left back position um, I, I don't think Sam Adekubi necessarily did much to, um, you know, really further his case there. I mean, again, he's a natural left back, so I think that helps out a little bit. And Canada doesn't have a ton of options there. But uh, what do you think about that position going forward? Because I didn't think he was he was incredible there. But uh, again, they don't have a ton of other options. Yeah, I think it was difficult for him to do much in the game, really, because he spent the whole game in Cuba's half, um, mm-hmm. which is obviously not really how it's going to play out against the US and so it's tough to get a read um, I, so I, th- I think you know maybe what whatever Herdman saw in training will, will probably play a big part there I, I think it might be Kamal Miller again against the US right. um, it's kind of interesting how that conversation has flipped from you know players need to get out of MLS and go to Europe to now MLS is actually looking like a pretty good level and, and I think some of the players who um are playing in MLS have looked more up to the pace that Canada want to play at than some of the guys who are playing in Europe but not in the top leagues in Europe, um, like Sam Adekubi, for example. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think it might be Miller. Personally, I would still go with Mark Anthony K there, just because I think you have more options in midfield, and you can, you know, you can go with um, Piet or Hutchinson if he's back and then Arfield and Azorio in midfield and, and there's you can put K in at left back I still think K might be the best option there um, but K has looked you know really good in midfield to such an extent that, that Herdman might want to keep him there and so that would open the door to Kamal Miller but I agree I, I, I don't think Adekubi really had um, the kind of game or the kind of camp that, that really pushed his case forwards massively yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be certainly interesting to see what what Herdman does there. Um, I'm still interested to see when when potentially Steven Ustakio might get brought into the group. He hasn't been playing for Cruz Azul, so uh, once once he gets added as well, then you then you have even more quality in that midfield. So that's yeah. kind of the forgotten yeah. man that I'm. I'm looking forward to seeing when he does eventually uh, get into that national team camp because certainly a quality player uh, based on what he was able to do over in Portugal. But um, otherwise, I think if if you look around, a pretty great international window for Canada. I mean, Panama dropping shock points at home to Bermuda. Uh, El Salvador dropping a match as well. They they've really struggled in recent years i think uh if you want to look at one team that you know makes the fifa rankings in all this disappointing it's el salvador because um really they they haven't been you know up up to their ranking in in recent years but um you know if you're canada it's it's obviously an incredibly steep climb and you still have to take um you know you still have to 
take almost full points against the United States and, and basically I think win the Nations League or, or come close is is what I've heard what they have to do uh, in order to you know make it into that hex in that top six but uh, for the moment you know it, it's a good start and I think it gives you a bit of positive moment, momentum going to those U.S. games knowing that you know you have this opportunity ahead of you and and all of a sudden a win against the United States um, really really pushes this forward. Yeah, it definitely does open things up a bit. Um, you know, I think if if they made the Nations League final four, they'd probably be in a pretty good spot now. I don't know the exact math behind it, but it, it's definitely opened up because of the surprise resu- surprising results we've seen. Um, El Salvador just not really a great team, I don't think, and no. they kind of gamed the friendlies a little bit over the past couple of years. They had a lot of decent results in friendlies against. Um, you know, de- well-ranked CONCACAF teams and I think they also beat Peru and so that's kind of put them in a pretty good position even though they haven't done a whole lot at all over the past 12 months or so um, but yeah I, I, I do think there's an opportunity for Canada you know, potentially not just with the Nations League, maybe they'll look to arrange some friendlies as well um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Panama's particularly strong right now, or Salvador as we just said I don't think particularly strong might even be Curacao that ends up being their their biggest rival there for for that sixth place but there's definitely an opportunity there if if they can at least win one of these US games yeah and uh, it does seem like they're they're looking at some friendlies Um, I know they're planning on skipping an October friendly just because the the date would come before the US game and that's the big one if if you know, you want to fully concentrate on that home U.S. game, um, but in November the the date comes after their away game against the United States, so that's one opportunity there. You want to make sure you're scheduling smart friendlies again. It comes down to a bunch of ridiculous ranking maths, which is always um, you never really want to see something go like this. I mean, it would be so much better if Canada could just play their way into the spot instead of having to worry about so many other permutations and and things like that. But I, I guess if you're Canada, you have to just keep winning the games in front of you and make sure to take care of your own business and they'll get an opportunity to do that October 15th at BMO Field. Um, what do we make of Canada going into this match? Because obviously, uh, I think under Herdman and, and their two biggest opportunities to showcase themselves, they've been a little disappointing. Obviously, against Mexico, uh, they tried something new tactically and, and were kind of, you know, they didn't play all the big guns. And then against Haiti, um, you know, it was it was the mental lapses that, that kind of cost Canada that game. But uh, here's, here's you know, a, a massive opportunity. Herbman's been talking about this for years, this opportunity to um, have that one result that kind of changes the program almost forever. And this would be a big opportunity. If they could beat the United States at home, I, I think, you know, the, the natural rivalry that's existed there for so long, the, the fact that the United States you know have traditionally been uh one of the top two teams in CONCACAF this would just be a result that um I think would create so much positive momentum for the program you know regardless of kind of what happens afterwards in in terms of the World Cup qualifying and this Nations League itself yeah definitely um I kind of hope that they don't think about it in those terms too much because I think that was their downfall against Haiti you know hearing John Herman talk about that last week it, it was almost as if like they felt that not so much beating Haiti because Haiti obviously doesn't jump off the page as an opponent but yeah. just making the Gold Cup semi-finals I think they thought that that might be a, a kind of turning point that really got people behind them and, and believing in them and they just put an awful lot of weight on their shoulders um, 
going into that game and then when you saw you saw they ran into some adversity and and they felt that weight and kind of crumbled a little bit so I think it's important that they kind of tune out the the noise this time and, and just focus on themselves but it would be a huge result um it's, it's a game that's really difficult for me to get a read on right now you know on the one hand I think having seen what Mexico has done to the US I think there's an opportunity there for Canada to you know use their pace in attack to try and win the ball high up the field you know as the US tries to play out of the back um and, and take advantage of some situations there on the other hand it's, it's difficult to be really confident about the idea of Pulisic and Altidore against the the Canadian <laughs> defense so yeah it's going to be really interesting um you know, regardless of you know how high or, or low you are on this Canadian team right now, it's it's got to be the most interesting game for the national team in a good few years. Um, even at Gold Cups, you know, I don't think there's been a a game that's as you know going to be as fascinating to see how it plays out as this one. Yeah, anytime Canada gets the opportunity to play the United States, you know, it's um, it, it just raises it up that much more just because of the yeah. national rivalry. Like I said, so. Uh, as you said, this will be a fascinating match, and I think the match that <laughs> from the second the Nations League draw happened, this is the one that everyone's had circled on their calendars, so uh, definitely we'll have more coverage of it as we approach that October 15th date, uh, as we will with the Voyagers Cup Final. We'll uh, definitely have someone on to, to chat about the first leg um, later on in the week, um, but until then, thanks for coming on, Ollie. Anytime. Thanks for having me. And to the rest of you, thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.